0: On today's episode, I got to connect with the amazingly encouraging author, coach, and speaker, Alan Arnold. We hope this conversation is a blessing to you as you pursue your creative work in this new year. Stay tuned through the end of the episode to hear a bit from one of Alan's books.
1: Welcome to Creatively Christian, hosted by Brandon Hollingsworth, Andrea Sandifer, and Jake Dobrins. We inspire faithful creatives to thrive by sharing the success stories of others. Join our unique community or get exclusive bonuses by heading to creativelychristian.net. Now, get ready to hear from yet another amazing guest.
0: Well, hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of Creatively Christian. I'm your host, Andrea Sandifer, for today. And I am joined by Alan Arnold, uh, Alan is kind of a multifaceted creative, uh, primarily an author, probably at this point, but his story includes a lot of different things that could probably encourage the hearts of a majority of people, uh, listening in today. And that's why I wanted to have him on the show. So Alan, welcome to creatively Christian. It's so good to have you as a guest.
2: Thank you. It's it's super cool to be in this conversation with you. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, me too. Uh we connected online. I started following you on Twitter because every tweet I heard or I heard you share. I saw you share was such an encouragement to my heart as a creative Christian. And I just started to notice this was just something that you did and everything that was coming out it just spoke Deeper and deeper into my need as a creative, and so I was like, "Okay, who is this guy?" So I'm really, really uh-huh. thankful when I reached out and was like, "So I think you'd be a really great fit for our show." Ah, uh, thank you for being willing to hop on here and share a bit of your story and uh, why you've become a really great encourager of creative Christians. So let's start. Just share a little bit about who you are, where you live, a bit about your family, and some of your like creative work highlights, if you could.
2: Sure. Well, I live in Colorado Springs. Uh, We've been here for over a decade. Love it. I work full-time at a ministry uh, here, Wild at Heart, that John Eldridge founded. He wrote the book Wild at Heart. And it's a chance uh, in the ministry to go after men's and women's hearts in greater intimacy with God. Um, So that's my full-time role. But my background was a fiction publisher And so before I did that, I was the publisher of more than 500 novels that were not necessarily Christian fiction, but I designed it. I started the division and designed it from the beginning to be fiction from a Christian worldview, not Christian fiction, because like C.S. Lewis says, we don't really need more little books about Christianity, but more books that have their Christianity latent in it. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but. But basically, yeah, let's do more stories that have a Christian worldview in it without trying to somehow fit this weird dynamic of whatever Christian fiction is today. Mm -hmm. And so I've done that. Um, Always been a lover of story from boyhood, from Superman comics. Uh, And story actually helped me interpret my life. And I grew up um, where I had loving parents, but but didn't really know how to mentor me uh, in the way of that the world is a story. And so um, books and words and novels and television shows and movies really were the gateway for me to start to see what, what is the larger story that's going on and, and realizing there's some stories that are drenched in God. And there are some stories that actually pull you away from God. And so all stories aren't equal. And so when I ultimately became a fiction publisher, it was really a dream come true because I got to help put stories out there that were changing the atmosphere for good. Um, I have a family, a wife I've been married to for 25 years, three children. Um, I have written three novels Coincidentally, so three, I've given birth to three novels and we've given birth to three children, but, um, you know,
0: you have a, uh, yeah. And I know you have a fourth on the way, so any kids,
2: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm pregnant right now with a fourth, which sounds really <laughs> weird to say, but, um, I do believe creatives are pregnant with ideas, male or female mm-hmm. in terms of you are giving birth, speaking something into existence. And so my fourth book is almost to the finish line and, um. Yeah, I spend a good bit of my time outside of my full-time job speaking to creatives across all you know strata. So worship leaders, um, songwriters, storytellers. I was just at an artisan event where it was metal workers and, and painters and woodworkers and glass workers. And so like cool. all kinds of creativity. And my, my goal is how do I help people not only just get better at their gifting, but actually pursue it with God. So how do you actually produce something that you co-created with God versus just getting something done?
0: I love it. And I love uh, that you were having this conversation with me today because that is probably the drumbeat of a majority of our conversations is that right there, trying to grip that as creatives is how to how to proceed, uh, and still lean into our faith and do this with God. And, um, so I'm really excited to talk about that more. So, uh, in our prior conversation, I really started to pick up on the fact that God has really called you through some major shifts or pivots in your life. And so, um, did he always give you a reassuring confidence to step forward into, each of those big changes in your life and what did that look like or feel like?
2: Well, so I'm a very different person today than I was in my twenties and thirties. If you had met me in my twenties and thirties, uh, I was a very driven, make it happen, be the last man standing in any situation, you know, kind of thing. And, and I even had as my mantra, this fortune cookie saying that, I got from a fortune cookie, which is never a great idea to make your life. <laughs> but I I mean, I taped this on my desk and wow, years and it said, the one who says it can't be done should get out of the way of the one already doing it. And that was my belief. Deep belief was I will make it happen. I will be the guy that whatever the impossible situation is, I'll, I'll make it happen. And, and ultimately, Andrea, that even led to this was before 9-11, where air traffic control and security got uh, way tighter. But about a couple of years before that, I was working at an a Christian publishing company and had a video crew. We we're going to film an author. And I wasn't paying attention because I was multitasking and everybody boarded this small plane. At the airport, and I didn't pay attention. And the video crew that didn't know where they were going didn't really know, all they knew was they were going to film wherever I took them to an author. And they got on the plane and everybody else did. I missed it. I run up to the gate. And the the personnel said, Yeah, sorry, we've given your seat away. We called your name. You missed it. And I said, Well, the plane's still out there. And she said, Well, it's full and it's closed and the doors closed. So there's nothing you can do. And She shouldn't have said that because that like, (laughs) you know, triggered in me that I'm the guy that makes it happen. so just to give you a glimpse of me at that time, I waited for her to walk away. I walked out the emergency exit onto the tarmac, stood in front of the plane and, and, and honestly didn't really know what was going to happen, but I just knew the plane couldn't go because they weren't going to run over me. I, I hoped. and, A few minutes later, one of the pilots got out and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm waiting to be let on the plane because I have a seat and here's my ticket. And he said, well, they've given your seat away and you're not supposed to be out here. And within about 10 minutes, I had talked my way onto the plane. That person got taken off. I got on. And that was kind of my life at that point. Like I will, I will face down a plane and win. I will do whatever it takes. And the problem was, uh, I was too good at that for that time, meaning people kept expecting more and I kept getting promoted and I kept being known as the guy that made it happen. But internally, I was just basing my identity on doing versus being. And it ultimately imploded at a point where a boss I had at the time, I thought he was calling me to lunch to give me a promotion. And we went to lunch because we were, it was a very successful division. And he said, Hey, Alan, uh, before we really get far in the conversation, I just want to start with asking you a question. Do you know all 18 people that report to you on your team? think you are a complete, and I won't use the word he said, (laughs) but uh, I'll just say jerk, but a complete jerk. And it, I, it was like this moment where I didn't understand that. I didn't realize that I, we were really successful and I worked really hard and expected them to, but I didn't care about their hearts. I didn't, I wasn't trying to get to know them. And so when he said that my first response internally was I'll fire them all and just hire 18 more people that are more appreciative of what we're doing. But thankfully, I felt God kind of pull me from the the back of my collar and um, say, just listen. And that was the beginning of a journey of me saying, that's not the kind of man I want to be my whole life. And I can't change the past, but I can change the future. And I don't want to be a guy that when he dies, people said he got a lot of things done and we couldn't stand his presence and that's what they were saying we love his productivity we can't stand his presence and so that was the beginning of a journey for me into sonship with god of who am i really and how can i be more instead of just do more and it it saved my life because i mean you can't do what i was doing decade after decade after decade without blowing yourself up
0: yeah uh That had to be a really hard moment of hearing that every single person underneath you felt that way. Uh, And I'm really glad that you were the person that said, okay, something needs to change, Uh, that 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 Holy Spirit really tugged on your heart and went, okay, listen, Uh, let's take a turn. So uh, what did that turn look like? Uh, Is that when you kind of pivoted to your role uh, with Wild at Heart and uh, no, that was,
2: uh, I was the, uh, the head of marketing at one of the largest Christian publishing companies at the time. And, um, shortly after that, I had the opportunity to start a fiction division, mm-hmm. 200 plus year old publishing corporation that started in Scotland, uh, Thomas Nelson that had never had a full-time fiction division, just mm-hmm. dabbled in fiction, had a few novels in a non, in fiction groups. And so right after this, like within a year or less, I started a fiction division. And that was when about the time the transition was happening and people that like were working for me in this new group were like, man, we've heard all these stories about you, but that's not you. But here's the deal, Andrea, what the pivot was real. It stuck, it stayed, but the pivot wasn't full. The pivot was I want to be a really good king for my kingdom, meaning mm. my group, you know, my my responsibility, my team, I want to be a really good leader, a really kind guy. And so I became like kind of one of the favorite people people had to work for because I would be very transparent with them. I would be the one to stay late if there was a deadline and let them go home for dinner. I took care of them. But the problem was I didn't care for my own heart. So I was caring for their heart, but deep down, I was still the make it happen guy. Mm. I just was really kind and caring genuinely to the people around me. But to myself, I was driving myself as hard as I could. And so the first change was to others. But internally, I was not kind to my own heart at all. And I still evaluated myself on what I, you know, who I was, was what I got done, was what I did in terms of a division, profitability, authors who were signed to write for me and the team. And so that full change, my own heart didn't happen until I got deeper in a journey of what I would call being fathered by God, sonship, daughterhood. For the listeners, but but really saying, I, I I raised the white flag. Like I can't, I don't want to keep basing my identity on what I do, what I get done. Even and and what I was getting done was for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. Like it was it was books, novels that had a God centered worldview for a Christian publishing house, and yet, um. I knew, I don't know God as a son. I just know how to do things that I think he would like. And I hope he likes me because of it, Mm. which is a really twisted. I mean, it's common. It's very common because now as I've started going after the hearts of creatives, they may not be as driven as I was, but what I see is the common denominator is no matter what the output is music, music, story, coaching, art, whatever it is, most Christians have absolutely no idea how to co-create with God. They do things for God. They have no idea how to do things with God. And so I had to go on that journey myself. And as I was, there came a point where God said, um, now your new mission is going after the hearts of creatives. And that started over a decade ago. And that's what's led to the books I've written. That's what's led to the coaching. I I coach creatives, um, many of them, you know, uh, on a regular basis in different industries, I speak. And all of that began when, when God just kind of said, this is your new lane, your anointing to go in. And you're a guy who knows what it's like to not do that, but still be doing things Technically, for the mm-hmm. kingdom, but not technically with me, so anyway that's that's been my journey, and I've been with wild at heart for about ten years, and then on a parallel journey, I've been speaking, coaching, writing to creatives for about that same amount of time in my free time
0: That's really great and i and I love that you felt it as a a call uh to walk forward into this and that and like you said, you knew. The position that a lot of these creatives are in because you were there yourself and you have felt and seen the benefit of doing it a different way and how it's encouraged your own creativity and your own heart and your faith. So that's really incredible. Um,
2: The number one thing, too, that the enemy, if the enemy can get us to be busy doing things for God but mm -hmm. never have intimacy, he's one. And so it doesn't matter how many. Um, you know, best-selling books you have, how many platinum albums you have, how many fans on social media you have, how many likes you have, whatever it is, it really doesn't matter at all if you have no intimacy with God because intimacy is the pathway to actually being effective for the kingdom. Intimacy with God, you have to have that before you can have impact for the kingdom. And and as humans, we just push against that, push against that. Well, I'm burnt out. I'm weary. I haven't really, I don't really feel intimate with God, but look at all that I've gotten done. And I think that goes back to the vine and the branches where God just says, yeah, without me, you you actually can do nothing. Mm -hmm. So congratulations on selling a lot of something, but you didn't do it with me. And that something is nothing.
0: Amen. Uh I feel like you're kind of speaking to me right now a little bit, Alan, and it's really good for me to hear. uh I can tend to be that. I can tend to be the person that has all the projects uh on the list and aiming and reaching goals and but I can neglect my quiet time or my my devotion time, my prayer time if there's other things that tug at that schedule, man, it's the first thing to go, and I am not proud of that, and it's but I feel it. I feel it when I do let that slip. When I don't spend time, I like to call him the Lord of my mission. If I don't spend time with the one that I am claiming to serve and write for and sing for, uh, then there's a big missing piece and I feel it. Uh, And I think that's something for us to pay attention to. If we start to feel that weariness, we really need to take a step back and, take a hard look at how much time we've actually been spending being still being quiet and hearing the voice of God uh, in our lives.
2: Yeah. I mean, being still being quiet, but also, um, laughing, dancing, shouting, Mm. celebrating like quiet time. I I, I personally hate that word because (laughs) I'm, I mean, I, I, I am quiet with God. I am, there are times of silence. I don't hate it, but, but I hate it when people, assume that's all it is mm-hmm. because i mean david spent a lot of intimate time with god and he wasn't silent and quiet it's not you're not in a library where the librarian is telling you you know Shh, don't say anything just just be still be, be still. quiet because we want to run from that a lot of times we we think all of a sudden a trip to hawaii is better than life with god you know or or whatever it would be like that some small thing because we forget the wildness of god and so uh, i'm not saying you were saying that with quiet time but i'm just saying to me it's been a reframing of what is that what is a life with god an active intimate life with god like and often i mean it is the most adventurous thing you can imagine because it is like following jesus when jesus said follow me you have to keep your eye on jesus you have to get your head out of your iphone you have to quit looking at the screen in front of you. And, and 99.9% of us are so dang distracted. We wouldn't even know if Jesus came back because unless it came up on our feed, on our iPhone, <laughs> as we're just staring at this screen like it's our life. and And so we have to, you know, keep our eyes. Like, I mean, if the fishermen had iPhones back then, they would have never been able to follow Jesus because he would have turned left and they would have just, Kept walking right, you know, like, so we have to keep our eyes on him. And we do that through an intimate walk with him all day long. Mm. Not, not just a quiet time, not just a a devotion in the morning, but actively all day long. And when we do, we quit measuring our day. We know we're in trouble when we measure our day on our achievements, Mm -hmm. because that's external. And, And it's not internal at all. And so when we start measuring our day on what we got done, well, that's a, that's a sign that we're, we're measuring our day by the wrong things. And how we measure our day is how we live our life. And how we live our life is ultimately our legacy, right? And if we are starting the process by going, a good day is when I get more done. And so good days are getting a lot done, bad days are not. The problem is God isn't in, doesn't have to show up at all for that to happen, and so right. we've all of a sudden taken our eyes off God onto stuff, things, tasks.
0: Yes, um, you don't know how much help you're being to me right now. <laughs> Thank you. This is, but this is exactly why I wanted to have you on here. If I feel like every time. I read something from you or hear something from you uh, and even our conversation that we had prior to this one I'm like I feel so ready to just go and create and be free and so let's let's dig a little deeper on that so what what does a what would you say is this this walk that a lot of us are missing out on this this idea of co-creation what is what is a stumbling block that many many of us are missing like what are we not gripping about the ease and the beauty of it
2: well i think the big missing piece is we start with an assumption that of what success is so success is becoming known in my industry or my gifting area Um, enough to make a living or enough to have recognition or status of some kind, you know, there's different ways in different industries. But when we start with that, the problem is then that becomes our goal and we'll do anything to make that happen. And so we'll make small trade-offs over time. We'll, you know, um, we'll start burning the candle at both ends. We, we will, if, if if you're in publishing and somebody says, yeah, if you want to sell more books, actually, if you just water down a little of what you're saying about God, then it'll it might reach a broader audience. And if if the carrot in front of you is, I really want to be a best-selling writer. So okay, I guess I guess I'll do that because it's still a little bit about God. Or um I'm so burnt out and I, and I don't really spend much time with God and my creativity, but I have to crank something out. Well, then we start to rely on formula what's worked before. And and that's a recreation process, not a creation process. Mm. And I've I've said this, you know, before, but I mean, that works great for a Duncan Hines muffin mix. If you want to keep making the same mix over and over and it tastes the same every time then you just do the same steps and you get the same results but creation is a wild beautiful act with god and so it's not a duncan hines muffin mix but the problem is a lot of christian creatives and i know that's you know who we're talking to here right like it is either hey what does the market want so let me sound act be more like that that's rear view mirror creativity. What's worked before. I really just want to be famous. I really just want to be known. I really just want to have a platform. So whatever works, tell me and I'll start doing it. That's not creativity. That's looking in the rearview mirror and just repeating. Or we go, I found something that kind of worked and I will continue doing that until it doesn't work. And that's formula. And that's why, you know, Like many, um, whether it's musicians or or novelists or whoever, I've quit listening to or reading because after the first, second, third album book, I go, you're doing the same dang thing over and Mm -hmm. over and over. And the applause that the fans gave you the first time was not for you to become stuck creating similar widgets. It was how beautifully original the first one was and you took that to mean do it over and over and over again. And I hate that. And so now I'm going to find somebody doing original things. And so whether it's, you know, I just want to know what other people want and I'll create it. I'm a chameleon. And I used to find that when I was a, a publisher was writers would say, I really want to publish with your publishing group. Cause you're the top publisher of this type of fiction at the time. And so you, um, I, here's a proposal with uh suspense, a suspense novel proposal. Here's one for contemporary romance. And here is one for young adult. And you tell me what you want and I'll write that. Cause what they were saying is I, I really just want to be published by your team. Mm-hmm. So I'll do whatever. Well, that was the number one sign I was not going to publish them because I, I don't want somebody that just wants to be published. I want somebody who goes, you know what I'm writing, an Amish vampire, futuristic, um, suspense novel. And if you don't want it, I don't care. I'm writing it. Cause that's what God's given me. So if you want it, fantastic. If you don't, I don't, that's fine. I'm going to still do it because I can't not do it. <laughs> and, and that's what we don't have anymore. Or we rarely have, where are those people that say, this is what God's lit my heart with a passion for. And, and, I'm not looking at metrics, and I'm not looking at formula, and I'm not looking at what's worked in the past. I'm actually doing this because God has invited me to do it, and He's not, and He doesn't just invite us to do things that become best-selling phenomenas. He invites us to do things with Him, and and so like you were asking me earlier, like, how does the process practically work? Well, what I've been telling you is it all starts with the foundation of. Do you want to do something with God that he's uniquely gifted you to do and will do with you actively and intimately, regardless of what the world does with it? Is that enough to do it with God? Or do you want the six-step method of success to be popular and good at your in your arena? And if you want that, go for it. But just be honest and go, it doesn't really matter if God shows up or not. I just want to be successful. And if God will do it with me, great. And if he won't, I'll still figure it out. Like, just be honest with that or go, I'm actually going to go on this journey with God and wherever it leads. It's like Moses said in Exodus when he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, God, if you're not with me, let's call the whole trip off, you know, like either we do this together or forget it. And that's the practical missing piece with most creatives is they, and I'm going to say this and it's going to, well, I'm just going to say it, but most (laughs) creatives are much more in awe and much more fascinated and much more uh, focused on, they worship more their creativity than the creator. I mean, it's just true. Like bottom line, you know, they'll talk for hours about their arena of creativity but then you ask them to tell you why they're in awe of the creator and you get maybe 30 seconds. Hmm. So practically, again, you have to have more awe and wonder over the creator than your creativity. And if you don't, well, then and you're stuck or you're, you know, just repeating what you've done before or feeling burnout. Well, it's honestly not a surprise because, you know, it's Jeremiah 33, 3. Like, call to me, and I'll show you things beyond your wildest imagination, but the the if-then is call to me, do it with me, come with me, and I'll blow your mind. I'll show you things you've never thought of, colors you've never seen, lyrics you've never been able to write, you know, stories you've never imagined, if you do this with the creator. But if you just want to do it, and, and it's kind of optional whether God shows up or not, then you can do as much as you can do up to your own brain. And wherever that is, six feet, you know, four feet, five, six feet, seven feet, however tall you are, even if you're seven feet tall, that's not very tall because the creator of the universe is saying, I can give you an imagination that exceeds the heavens and exceeds time. And I will do this with you and blow your mind if you'll do it with me. And so all of those things are an answer to your question of where does the process get stuck? Why doesn't it work? How do you, how should you begin? If we don't begin with that foundation, then at best, we become really successful on something that's really temporal and the, and it has no eternal spark, but you know, we have enough to put our kids in college and pay off our mortgage and congratulations. But God offers us so much more.
0: Yeah, uh, that is such a good foundation. I love everything you just said. And I I think what really stuck out to me was when we approach our creative work, if it's not something we're excited about or have a passion to do, maybe there's something we need to pay attention to there. I mean, there are some of the, the tasks. I talked to a guy the other day who's much more business-minded, and we talked about kind of the drudgery of doing the business side of creativity sometimes. Sometimes that has to happen, but when it comes down to our actual creation, the things that we are are creating and putting out into the world if we're not doing the things that we feel called and really um, like I, I've written songs in the past where I feel like I just, I don't know why this song is heavy on my heart, why I need to write this message, uh, but I do it anyway. And sometimes those, those songs become the most, uh, I, I wouldn't say popular, but like they, they, they grip, people's hearts in ways that I couldn't even imagine. That to me is such a beautiful picture of what God wants us to do as creatives, to put things out, to build his kingdom, to touch the hearts of his people through what we do and what we share. And um, I like that idea of if it doesn't make us excited, if it doesn't quicken something in us, maybe we should reconsider um, doing it at all. So Or writing it at all. Or Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. So good. It's like so, in so
2: it is, um, when Victor Hugo talks about, you know, this key character in the book who is a bishop, and he says he wasn't so much a man who studied God, but was dazzled by God. And so if we are not in awe and asking God questions and doing life with him and and really being romanced by God, then... Why do we think God, God doesn't owe us anything in terms of our creativity. And so if we want to be creative, then we have to fall in love and invite the creator into every aspect of what we do. Mm -hmm. It's not a prayer at the beginning. It's not, please bless this. I mean, think about that. Think of it in terms of a marriage. Like if we said, okay, we're married. Um, now please bless every, please, please promote everything I do, but I don't really have time to have a relationship with you. Mm. Just, just be my cheerleader or be my fan or be my busy assistant. Like God's like, sorry, I'm not like come with me and I'll show you all these things. Jeremiah 33, three be my son, be my daughter, engage in a co-creation with me and let's see what we can bring to life together or do it on your own. But, but I think we have it so backwards. We start with, here's what I want to do. Here's what I think would make me popular or successful or rich or whatever. And then we go now, God, please bless us. And we start backwards and then we expect God to be at the center of everything. And we just find this empty, hollow core because God will not be last. He will not be our genie. Mm-hmm. He will not be our, he will rescue us sometimes, but he will not fuel a career where he is forgotten and just looked to as this now please make it successful, God. That's not his heart for us, and and he and he doesn't want that to work because he wants intimacy. So if it doesn't start there, then it's hard to have a project that really creates intimacy in the listener or the reader or the viewer or you know, the consumer if there's no awe and intimacy in us in the process. Like to think somehow it will transition beyond us and create this beauty and awe and intimacy in the end user that was not in us when we gave birth to it. That's a that's kind of crazy thinking, you know, honestly, like it it starts with us. It starts with we can't tell a better story than we're living. We can't create something better than we are in the creative process with God. There's no more intimacy in what we create. You know, if it's not there on the front end, it won't be there with a really nice packaging or promotional effort.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We can only, uh, we can't fake it. (laughs) I think it uh, fakes get revealed over time um, and authenticity. And that really shows up in, in work. It really does. So that's such a huge encouragement. Um, You know, Alan, I, I wrote this question down and I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly how to ask it because I'm just, I'm just floored by how much, and maybe it's just because of the journey God has taken you on, but where do you draw your inspiration and where do you, where do you glean all of this uh, information that you're now pouring out to encourage others? Where do you find your inspiration?
2: Well, I, I find it like, um, first I really crave God and and so that sets the rhythm of my day and if i don't have time like active time with god um you know i i i I grieve i miss it and and so it starts with you know above all else guard your heart like nourish your heart um because from it your life flows and 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 so It has to start on a heart level with God, I believe. And then I really try to spend time with people who uh, love this kind of life. And so like, I spend a lot of time with C.S. Lewis Mm. and I wrote a a blog the other day called invite C.S. Lewis over. And it's like, you know, yep, he's in the kingdom, but we can spend as much time as we want with great thinkers and, and people from the past, if we want to read their works and invite them over. And so I spend very little time on current popular, like pop culture because I find it so empty. Mm -hmm. And, and I just refuse to read the book that everybody else is reading because everybody else is reading it because it doesn't matter. Um, and so I really get a kick of going, I'm probably the only person in the world reading this right now. And I love it. Not because, not, not, that doesn't, that's not the criteria. The criteria is, were they deep lovers of God? And so whether that's an early Christian thinker, Madeline laingle behind me, you can see over here, yes. her books that are the quartet of the Wrinkle in Time, most people know. Uh, on the other side, you can see it you may not be able to see the titles, but it's Tolkien and it's all the Lord of the Ring stories and I'm just saying i I try to spend time with people who spend time with God who are either alive today or are alive in the kingdom today, but I have their works and and um to me, like that is the conduit that keeps my heart is is God and others who love this kindred fellowship, who love the deeper life. and um, you know, authenticity, we were talking about earlier, like, as a creative, you want to be authentic. But I will say the problem, I think, with today's, a lot of today's creatives is they think doubt is authentic. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of preaching and teaching and um songs and stories and culture is like all the angst and the doubt. But I just have to say, like in this new book I'm working on, the enemy's number one tact from the garden was to doubt God. So you're not in very good company if you're leading If you think your relevancy leads with doubt, like you're actually, it's actually the worst thing you could do because we don't need you out there embracing doubt like that's heroic. Um, Doubt is what the first way the enemy led Eve and Adam to choose the wrong tree, the wrong life and the wrong story and doubt before that was what led to the rebellion in heaven because the enemy actually got a third of the angels to imagine creativity imagine seeing before it happened overtaking god through doubting god's goodness and the enemy before that the reason he fell was ego and an ego was fueled by this doubt that god was actually the best one to lead the universe. So I have to say in our creativity, I'm sick and tired of people who, who are trying to speak in a Christian realm and have doubt as one of their major colors. Let it go, lose it, leave it, or, or go do something else because doubt does not lead us closer to God. It's the enemy's number one tact and it's time, especially at this time in the world, like it, you're doing a disservice to the christian community so if you if you want to create things that have an eternal spark doubt is not one of the colors you're going to use
0: that's really interesting i didn't even think about that as kind of uh um a topic uh within our, the christian discussion so could you define that for us like what would something laced with doubt look like or sound like Oh, it's, it's like
2: listening to a sermon where it's the pastor is. um, I understand if you don't know if God's going to come through, I understand if you think God may not be for you. Um, It's, it's songs that are about, could you really love me, God? Could you really love a sinner like me? Um, You know, um, I, It's it's novels where the whole the whole novel is a novel of wrestling with whether there is a God or there is good like I get that there's questions and I'm not minimizing that. But what I'm saying is, I mean, look at the book of Job, like God doesn't go, hey, Job, let me high five you on all your doubt, brother. Like he actually says, where were you when? I created this. I did this. It's a fascinating read. If you haven't read Job lately Um, and God's not being harsh. I don't think, I think he's just saying like Job actually was doing really well compared to what his friends and his wife were trying to get him to do. But I'm saying doubt is the number one problem or the number one gateway the enemy uses. And so When we, and sometimes doubt comes across as I'm going to water down what I say. I'm going to be a little vague. I'm not really going to say the name Jesus in this. I'm just going to talk about faith. I'm just going to, but faith in what? Like, you know, faith, love, and hope are lifted up in Scripture. And the greatest is love, but faith in what? Hope in what? Love in what? Because Faith, hope, and love generically aren't going to do the trick. And um, gosh, I, I mean, a lot of times, like I, I did a blog post today that just came out today on my, I have a site called withallen.com, W-I-T-H-A-L-L-E-N.com. And if you go to that backslash sign up, sign dash up, you can sign up for these free daily readings. But the one today was basically saying, good can't win the day good isn't enough it's not that good you know in all these novels and all these stories it's not good versus evil it's god versus evil and and so good isn't enough so the more vague we become andrea like that's you're asking like what's an example of kind of doubt well part of it is our own doubt that we can be as straightforward as we want to be boldness watering down our language of just have faith well faith faith in what you know or just have hope okay hope in what Mm -hmm. or just love well but if you are afraid to use the word jesus if you're afraid to be bold because you doubt it will work or you're afraid of the consequences then again you're you're creating with one hand tied behind your back and and at that point you're not helping the christian community you're not being light you're just being you're being lukewarm and god's pretty clear about what he thinks about lukewarm creativity and lukewarm people so <laughs> be hot or be cold like be in or be out be just do stuff and and leave god out of it or go all out in what you believe with a passion and, and an integrity and a fire. And so that's, that's what I mean is doubt. The enemy has used that calling card from day one mm. and let's get over the doubt and the hesitancy and the hedging our bets in our creativity. It's, I mean, the other side, like look at the world today in music in children's you know, fiction, young adult um, in television shows and in, in major, you know, Disney theme parks, whatever you want to, whatever you want to look at, they're actually being really bold in what they believe, which is the antithesis of, of what God would say is right. But they're being bold about it. And so what are we waiting? What, like, what do we think we're going to accomplish by trying to be kind of lukewarm? Yeah. It actually, the antidote is all in or all out, but, but doubt, hesitancy, watering down. It's, it's just, it's just not, it's not going to have an eternal spark. It's not going to help. And um. so that's what I mean by that. And I really encourage creatives, like there are an infinite number of ways to be creative with what you do. So It doesn't look the same. It's not cookie cutter, but, um, let's lose the vagueness of what we're doing. Vague is not helpful.
0: Vague is not helpful. Oh my goodness. Okay. We are running out of time. I feel like we could have you on again. And I think we're going to have to have a yearly chat with Alan. I think this will be a regular segment. Um, Thank you, Alan, so much for being a guest. I know you've got your your next book coming out, so I wanted to give you a chance to chat about that. What is this book about? And I know you're self-publishing, so could you chat a little bit about why you're excited about that?
2: Absolutely. Well, okay, so I've got three books out. If people are listening, I don't know when this will air, but if people are listening now, um, The Story of With is an allegory mostly with some teaching about how to pursue your dreams, your passions, your creativity actively and intimately with God as a father and creator. And so that's like, to me, starting point for people that want to dive in. I've written a book called Chaos Can't, which is about how ultimately chaos comes against us in very personal ways to try to get us as creatives to wait it out, to sit on the sidelines and how actually our creativity is an antidote to the chaos. And you go back to Genesis 1, 1 through 1, 3, and in Genesis 1, 2, we see the spirit going into the murky darkness, the chaos, and that's where creation begins. Mm-hmm. So the very worst thing as creatives we can do is try to let chaos reign while we wait until it's a good moment to create. Because then chaos wins. The goal is your creativity can actually be an antidote to that. And then waves of creativity are thoughts on God and creativity. You can read it any page, any day, any order. But it's really just encouragement. And the new book uh, is called The Eden Option. And it's choosing story one in a story two world. So it's basically taking the reader back to Eden a time of the most intense creation and creativity and seeing what was lost and how to reclaim it and how to live in the original story, story one, which is reality, instead of the story we find ourselves in now, which is story two, unreality. We live in an Ecclesiastes world and because we were born in it, we think it's reality, it's unreality. And so the book is about how to, Adam and Eve made a fatal choice to go into story two and choose life where God was not at the epicenter. And how do we now waking up in story two, being born in story two, do the opposite, choose to return to story one and experience Eden creativity in our life and, and what was lost in that, you know, and how do we get it back? So that's what the new book is. Exciting. And, um, yeah. And and self-publishing versus traditional publishing. Like for those who are authors who are listening or writers or want to be like the, the really short version would just be um, I came from a 20 year background in traditional publishing. I was a publisher. I love the people in that industry and I'm glad that the industry exists and it has become more of a book printer in recent years than a then idea content lovers in other words they try to find people who are big on social media who have a large platform and instead of nurturing great content they it's a popularity contest it's like saying uh let's give the most popular kid in high school a book contract well can they write well doesn't matter they're the most popular they'll sell the most books And so it's a really bad model that has started over the last decade or so. Hmm. And so traditional publishing, if you're a new writer, don't have a huge platform, it's really hard in traditional publishing because they will not invest enough to grow you. In general, there may be the exception, but in general, it's all about your platform and If you don't have much content, but you have a big platform, you'll get published. And if you have great content, but no platform, you won't get published most of the time. And so I'm a big fan for that group of writers in self-publishing. It's never been easier. It's never been um, more timely. I've chosen it for all of my books. And I come from traditional publishing because there's also a desire, like this new book I was telling you about, The Eden Option, Well, I'm going to be finished with it in a couple of probably two months. And in less than three months, people will be buying it, reading it, and putting the book on their shelf because I'm self publishing. And it will be a much faster way to get a message out with the exact same editorial expertise, cover design expertise, page design expertise as in a traditional house. It just doesn't take a year and a half to go through the slow train that that has become their norm mm-hmm. and i love self publishing and so um and readers really could care less they want a good book they want a, they want a good read and on amazon very few people care if it's from random house or simon and schuster or thomas nelson or whoever all they want is really great content And so you can do that in either way, self-publishing or traditional publishing. But if you're not a a best-selling, you know, marquee name type author, why not keep the copyright to your book and master the art of entrepreneurial self-publishing? I love it. And and I talk to people about that in my coaching, um, but I always want what's best for them, not what I would say is a cookie cutter approach. But so many people say they want to traditionally publish and you get down to why and it's the logo on the spine. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's like saying, uh, they'd be like a 17 year old saying, I'm more of a man with a a tattoo on my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And you go, no, not really at nope, all.
0: No, not you really. <laughs> but
2: I get that the tattoo may be, give you confidence, but the logo on the spine of your book doesn't really matter. What matters mm-hmm. is the content. And if you can create great content without going through That model and own the copyright and and do as well or better, why would you give your baby away? I like, you know, I get it if I get it if you need to have books in airports and in Walmart and in Costco and in all these places, you really can't do that self-publishing very well. But that really only applies to authors who are selling more than a hundred thousand copies of a book from the from the get-go. And most people aren't in that position who are writers. Right. So, so anyway, that's, that's just a quick overview or just kind of a thought, a new way to maybe see that. Um, and Andrew, I would love for people if they're listening and this resonates at all, like um, you don't need to buy a book if you don't, you know, like buy a book if you want to, but no, no pressure at all, but I'd love for you to sign up for my daily readings. They're free. Yeah. And just go to the website with allen.com backslash sign dash up. And I do one every day. This brand new, it's only a paragraph or two. These are not long, lengthy things. It's you can read it in 30 seconds to a minute.
0: Yeah.
2: And it's just that encouragement for you as a creative to stay active and intimate with God in the process. And um, so I'd love for listeners you know, to just get that because that will keep them in this thought process, in this way of living and creating.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. And we will link uh, that to, uh, in the show notes, everybody, so you can grab that there if you uh, would like to. I've been enjoying them. Uh, I admit I, I don't get to read them every day, and sometimes they make it uh you know, yeah, anyway, there's, there's a lot in my inbox. Sometimes I need to go through and unsubscribe from like <laughs> 75% of the things in my box. Cause things like your email get lost in there and it's ridiculous. So that's another uh, tidying up we can do to care for our souls, uh, unsubscribe from a bunch of unnecessary stuff. But Alan, your stuff is very good. Every time I read what you write, it just, um, it's a huge encouragement. So thank you so much for what you do. And I would actually, um, before we, cause Ellen is going to read to us, everyone, or either Ellen's going to read, or if we can figure it out, we're going to have a portion of his audiobook uh, read to us, uh, which it's fantastic. So either way, we're going to hear a bit of Ellen's writing, but before we do that, Alan, would you mind, um, praying for our audience, just a prayer of encouragement for them as we close up?
2: Yeah, Absolutely. So Father, I pray that everyone listening would risk entering into a journey of creation with you, that they would risk putting it all on the line for refusing to create by formula, refusing to create by order, Um, but, but at least for the things that they feel most passionate about, God, that they would enter into that actively and intimately with you and that above all else, they would define success as, am I doing this together with you, God? And I pray that as they step into that, you would give them a sign, uh, uh, a word, a, just something that only you could do that shows them. Yeah, we're in this together. This is a road trip that we're taking father, daughter, father, son, and god i just pray that you would just wrap them in the security that this is the way creation is meant to be is together not striving not chasing success but chasing big ideas with you together without pressure without striving that validation of the world would lose its hold and validation would only come in their identity with you, father, daughter, father, son. And I just pray that you would make that a time of deep joy and excitement and wildness as you infuse their creativity in ways they never could do on their own. So God, we give you our creativity. We give you our heart. We give you our imagination. We give you us. Now let's do this together. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Amen. Awesome. Thank you, Ellen. Okay, tell us a bit about what we're going to hear from you now from your book.
2: Yeah, so I'm just going to read a couple of pages, and the story of With W I T H is is an allegory, and the main character is a woman named Mia, and she has come, and she's a very uh, driven, high productivity woman. She's in search of her dad. He's disappeared. And she comes across in the, in the kind of the back country or area that she's, her car is stalled. And she runs across this mystic named Iona. And so Mia is talking to Iona and Iona gives her a meal and they're sitting outside and the conversation is continuing from there. So I'll just pick up at that point. This is about 80 pages into the book. So know that there's a lot before this, but I'm just going to pick up from there.
3: Though she was sure they remained in the forest, Mia now could hear the clinking of glasses and the hiss of an espresso machine. I smell coffee. Open your eyes, Mia. They sat at a metal table with two steaming cups of coffee before them. Mia jerked her hands away. What's going on? Is this the other place? No. We are in story. Looks like a coffee shop to me. How do you think a story is supposed to look? This coffee shop is in the basement of an old brownstone building. That's where this part of your story begins. I get it. I'm really in the forest, but I'm seeing the story you're telling. Like a vision, or dream? You dream when you are asleep. Story requires you to be fully awake. And Mia, the consequences here last longer than any dream. But none of this is real, right? It depends what you mean by real. Mia looked around them. Where's my backpack? It's not needed for your journey. Iona reached into her jacket and handed Mia a small brown leather pouch tied with rope. But this is... Mia untied the string at the top and set the pouch on the table. Within were four glass vials, in two rows of two. They were held in place by thin velvet straps. She lifted them out, one at a time. Each was a unique shape and color with words carved into the glass. One was blood red with a heart etched into it. The word, Awaken, was inscribed along the side. The one that appeared to be the oldest had a pearl-like finish. On it was the word, together. Another was a deep blue, and had, identity, carved into it. The last was a sea foam green color, and resembled the kind of bottle you'd put a note in and cast to the sea. Except it was no larger than a test tube. She ran her fingers over the word on that vial. Expectant. Each was sealed with a cork, even though the vials were empty. Mia looked at Iona. What am I supposed to do with these? You need them for your journey. Keep them in the pouch for now. Mia gave the vials one last look, then put them in the leather pouch and slipped it into her jacket pocket. Iona reached across the table and took hold of Mia's hands. You can't return, as long as the vials remain empty. Wait, return from where? Why, the story, of course. Iona brushed a strand of silver hair from her face. What goes in them? Whatever each requires. A vial must be filled at every level. Satisfy it, and you move forward. Don't. And you don't. Say things go wrong. Can you get me out? If you quit, you won't make it out of the story. Iona's eyes darted to the tables around them. I need to leave before the enemy senses my presence here. The enemy is here? How do I stay safe? You'll have help. Mia took a deep breath, trying to reassure herself. I'll be fine. I mean, this is a story, not a matter of life and death. Iona held her ceramic coffee mug in front of Mia, then let it drop. It shattered on the tile floor, hot coffee splashing their shoes and the base of the table. The people at tables near them stared for a moment, then went back to their conversations. Iona picked up a piece of ceramic from the floor. She pricked her finger with it. A thin line of blood appeared. Are you insane? What happens here is real, Mia. Get cut, you bleed. Get killed, you die. You're dropping me into a story that you just hope I make it out of? My hope is that this story will prepare you for what is ahead. Iona pressed a napkin on the cut to stop the bleeding. Listen carefully. We're in the basement of a six-story brownstone. There are five levels above us. You must go to the elevator in the lobby and take it to the first floor. An elevator? I I thought I was looking for a blue door. First, you must find the elevator. Once you get to the first floor, You'll need the vials for passage to each of the next levels. And Mia, the sequence matters. You must successfully complete each level. Do not attempt to bypass a floor. Sure, hit every floor, got it. But I have four vials and you said there are five levels above the basement. You have all you need. It's time to go. Mia saw a door leading from the coffee shop to the lobby. When she turned back, she was alone at the table. Great, don't bother saying bye, Mia mumbled, I'll be just fine. Then she thought of Iona's warning about the enemy, or maybe I'll die. Here's hoping this story isn't a tragedy. Iona had left cash on the table for their drinks. Mia walked from the coffee shop to the lobby. The old bricks and architectural style of the brownstone seemed from another century. People paid her no attention. When she reached the elevator in the center of the lobby, Mia pushed the up button. The metal door whisked open. Inside, the elevator was paneled in dark wood, with six antique cream-colored ceramic buttons on the control panel. Thankful that no one else needed a ride, she pushed the button with one on it. The door slid shut. A computer voice announced, First floor, going up? Mia took a deep breath. Okay, I can do this. Whatever is on the next floor, I can handle it. The elevator dinged and slowed to a stop. She stepped back, straightened her jacket, and cleared her throat. When the door opened, a massive wall of water swept Mia off her feet. In seconds, it completely filled the small space. Mia tumbled underwater, trying to determine which way was up. She was running out of air. With dread, she realized she was about to drown in an elevator.
0: Thank you so much for listening today. To see the resources mentioned in today's episode, head over to Theophanymedia.com forward slash with Alan.
1: Thank you so much for listening. Please rate, review, and share this episode so we, in turn, can bless even more people. Creatively Christian is a product of Theophany Media. You can find out more at theophanymedia.com. The show is hosted by Brandon Hollingsworth, Andrea Sandifer, and Jake Dobrins. Our logo is by Bill Brooks. Bill Brooks and Andrea Sandifer did our theme music, and Jake Dobrins produces and edits the show. God bless you and keep on creating.